0: Do you ever wish you could just start over? Is there something in your past that you can't seem to move past? Are you on a destructive path but don't know how to stop? Are you having trouble believing that God could love someone like you? If you answered yes, then this series is for you. In this series, we're going to learn exactly what God's grace is and what it means for us. Grace is available every moment of every day for every one of our sins. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's amazing. It's grace and it's available, so prepare your heart for a word from God as we learn that in Him nothing is too good to be true. Church, I have a strong anticipation to, to get into God's word. If you will, yeah, just keep playing a minute. Um, God is worthy of it all, right? And what is all? It's everything. It's everything. And I have a strong anticipation to, to share God's word with you today. I think it's going to speak to someone that spoke to me as I was preparing. And I want you to just remain standing. I'm going to read one scripture to you, and then we're going to talk about where we're going this morning. But God is worthy of it all. And I think this scripture is very fitting. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And many of you, you may know it, but it says, and we know that God causes everything not some things, not just the best things, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, there's so much that I love about this verse, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to use it as the foundation for for where we're going this morning, and we know Paul's writing to uh, to Rome there we get Romans and we know because how many of you sometimes don't feel like it's, it's going to work out really good anybody you don't feel like it's going to work out good and that doesn't mean your faith isn't real it's just the reality of where we are as a fallen man, as a fallen woman, our nature is. I don't always feel like it's going to work out, God. I know you say it will. I don't know how you're going to restore the relationships I have broke. I don't know how financially you're going to provide for me. I don't know spiritually how I can go on one more day living like this. But I'm so glad that my faith is not based upon my feelings. And we know that who God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those, and I wanna make sure that when you see that word everything, just imagine how many bad things you could put underneath that. Bankruptcy, divorce, fired from your job. You got an F in that class. Loneliness, depression, anxiety, But God's working it all together for your good. Do you believe that? Would you pray with me before we go into the message this morning? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the worship that we've experienced. And Lord, we do. Just with our mouths, we profess that you are worthy of it all. God, you are worthy of everything that we have, every ounce of our being every thought that we think, Lord, should be directed towards you. But this morning, we've come in here, many of us, with different problems and different issues and different life circumstances, different places in life financially and morally. And God, some of us believe in you. Some of us are searching you for the first time. And we just trust this morning, God, that you are um, here amongst us, that you're here amongst us. And we anticipate a move from you this morning. God, use this preacher's lips to speak your words to your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, you may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you, band. Thank you, band. You're good. Hey, so we've been in this series called Too Good to Be True, and this is the last week of it, and the whole series has been about God's grace. Sometimes it seems too good to be true, and if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to, uh, to do that, but... The last part um, today, I want to speak with you about this idea about the weight of grace. The weight of grace. But particularly, I kind of want to go back just for a moment about this. God works all things together for our good because we need to understand that that's part of his grace is that he is working everything out for our good. We need to understand that about him, his nature, his supremacy is that everything that he does for us is for our good. And sometimes I think we forget that as Christians or maybe sometimes we portray that to people who don't believe that like God's out to get us. And if you were raised in church around here, then you were probably taught about this thunderbolt God who if you didn't do this or you didn't quote your memory verse that a lightning bolt was gonna come down and strike you. Well, that's what the cross was for. The cross was for that. God works together everything that we're going through for his good excuse me, for our good. He works that out for us. And so I wanted to show you this um, little thought here uh, to illustrate what that means, that God works all things together for our good. Suppose I have here some, perhaps the most ungodliest drink in the world, unsweet tea. Suppose I have some unsweet tea. And how many of you know that unsweet tea by itself should not even be legal in the state of Tennessee, right? Anybody? It shouldn't. I've made some people mad. I can see them. They're like, I don't know about that, brother Peyton. Unsweet tea by. Let me say this. Unsweet tea by itself is not that good. Can we agree? By itself is not that good. Here I have a bag of sugar, and how many can agree? that by itself, this is really not that good. I mean, I would, I've would i brought a spoon and I doubt anyone would just sit around and watch a movie and eat spoonfuls of sugar, like, even like on your worst day. Even women would not do that. <laughs> so sugar by itself is really not that good of a thing. Agreed? Talk to me. Agreed. And for the most part, unsweet tea by itself is really not that good of a thing. Agreed? Agreed. But what happens when I get a big spoonful, because I'm from the South and like it really, really sweet, and put some sugar? I'm going to go one more time. Don't judge me. I'm spilling it everywhere, just like I do at home. My wife always gets so mad. And suppose I stir it up and get it going and... This is a little cold, so it's not going to melt exactly right, but I mix it together, stir it up, and then just right. Just right. Anybody want to? It's got a little something else in it, if you know what I mean. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But what happens is these two seemingly bad things by themselves, when brought together, become something good. Are you tracking? That's what Romans 8.28 is saying. And basically, I brought you to church this morning to tell you that God will take your unsweet if he'll give him a little sugar, and make it sweet. Hallelujah. Have a good 4th of July. See y'all next week. No, I'm kidding. But that's what, that's what Romans 8.28 is, is he is working together all things for our good, the bad things in our life, the, the troubled times, the trials, the mistakes, the errors, the regrets. Anybody have any regrets this morning? You wish you would have done things a little bit differently. God is working that out for your good, and it seems too good to be true, right? It seems too good to be true, but that is his grace. That is the unmerited favor that he pours out on those whom he loves. It seems too good to be true, but it's not in this morning. I want to talk to you about this idea that the weight of grace is so much lighter and greater than the burdens that you carry. It covers them. It covers them. And we're going to, if you have a Bible, you can open up to it this morning. I've made a mess up here. There, my wife. Don't come up here and look. This looks just like our coffee counter at home every single Sunday morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 8 with me. If you don't have one, don't sweat it. We're going to have it up on the screen. But I want us to continue looking at a few verses just past Romans 8, 28. And here's basically what's happening in this context is Paul is writing here, and he is stating the significance of the basically the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the life that he gives us. And if you've ever heard that verse where Paul talks, he says a lot of things like, hey, what I don't want to do is exactly what I do. What I do want to do is, you know, I mean, it's this, this this fight. And he's talking about how good God's glory is in us. One of my favorite verses, Romans 8.18, it's not on the screen. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And that is for those of us in Christ. Though we suffer now, we will be rewarded at the end when we spend eternity with Jesus. And just this powerful powerful, uh, speech and, and, and speaking of, of God's glory and his goodness. And I want us to pick up just a couple of verses later. We're in verse 31, and I'm just going to go through these this morning and share a couple of thoughts with you. Uh, but I think that it will pertain and be relevant to every person in here. A lot of you, you raise your hand and you said that you have some things that you're going through, or you know these regrets, or these mistakes, or you're in a situation in life that's less than desirable, you never thought you would be here, then this message is for you. If your life is really going pretty good, you should praise God and just listen to what I'm saying and, and, and pray that the Lord will use you to speak to someone. But it will be applicable to every person in here. Let's dive in. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says... What shall we say about such wonderful things as these, as Paul has been mentioning? And you can even just compare it back to Romans 8 28. What should we say about something that's so good, our God that's so good that He's working everything together for our good? And here's something that I struggle with, and I even know better, but I still do. I don't have much of a problem with like the sins that I committed before Christ. I mean, not that I don't care about it, but I mean, that was my nature to do that. I was separated from Him, so it makes sense that I would do that. But some of the things I struggle with, and even this very week, are the things that I do when I'm in Christ. I'm I'm in Jesus, I'm a Christ follower, and I intentionally sin. That's what bothers me sometimes. Like, why did I do that and I know better? You know, the book of Hebrews says this, when you intentionally sin, hang with me, when you intentionally sin, It says there no longer remains a sacrifice. And basically, I want you to think of this. Every time that you intentionally sin, you do something you know you shouldn't do. You go back to the buffet line when you shouldn't. You look at that computer when your wife's out of town. You spend that money when you know you don't have it. You're basically putting Jesus Christ back up on the cross. Pretty heavy, right? Anybody want some sweet tea to chill out a little bit? That's what we do. If there no longer remains a sacrifice because that's what Jesus was, the ultimate sacrifice, then every time we intentionally sin, we're basically you're putting the nails back through his hands again. It's a lot of weight, right? But the weight of grace is that even when we do that, he's working all things together for our good. So then Paul asked this question, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? I mean, if God is for us, listen, not who can, but who can ever be against us not your boss not your ex not your enemy across the street no one who can ever be against you and here's where we begin to see this idea that paul saying our identity is in christ he is our protector our provider and if we seek him as our refuge as our help as our um as our father then who can ever be against us Who could ever be against this? Verse 32 says, Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Now, I think a logical question is, is what else could God give us? Right? What else do we really deserve? I mean, because we didn't deserve Jesus. And it's interesting that he says he did not even spare his own son. Won't he give us everything else? So can you imagine, a lot of times we say, like, you know, the cross is everything. And it is. It is the, it's this, uh, the central part of a Christian's faith. If you don't believe in the cross, and the resurrection, then our faith is in vain. Right? If the cross, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're just wasting time. And so for, for Paul to say, hey, he's, he didn't even spare his son. He gave us, would well, say says everything, but Paul says that he'll give us everything else. Then I think what he's suggesting here is that if God would give us the biggest gift we could ever need or imagine, won't he provide you with the things that you feel like you can't make it through the day, with or without? So I'm talking to somebody this morning who's got some financial problems, and you're thinking, it's crazy how sometimes we'll trust God with our salvation, that he'll get us into eternity, but we won't trust him to provide for us tomorrow. It's, it's almost like it's backwards sometimes. We trust God to forgive us of all of our sins, but we don't trust that he'll help us find true love again. Or does that make sense? It's just the weirdest thing to me that we trust him with this, the grandest thing, but when it comes to the small details, we're like, I, I don't know if God can do it or not. And Paul's saying, listen, he, he did not even spare his own son So won't he give us everything we need? The peace in troubled times. The joy in the midst of anxiety. The ability to heal in times of sorrow. The ability to reconcile relationships that which have been broken. He's a God who provides for us. And I wanted to tell somebody today, you're questioning his provision or his ability to provide something for you. And I wanted to tell you, as His messenger for this church, that He did not even spare His own Son. So, how will He not? Why will He not provide every single thing you need? Everything you need. I don't really get it sometimes why we think. And I say we because I'm included in it as well. Because there are times where, if I can just share a doubt with you, uh, there are times where I think, um, you know, what is God going to do in the next season of our church? Yeah, He helped. He helped us get started. He helped provide for like all this stuff that we have and he, you know, continues to bring volunteers and if you see people wearing a gray shirt or orange, those are people that are taking care of you and, and, and making this possible to have this environment here. But sometimes I wonder like, what's next? You know, what are you going to do, God? And we, you know, we celebrate all these baptisms, we see people making commitments to Christ, and we see new people on stage, and we hear new stories of life change, and I'm not suggesting that. That's not good, but I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes I just think, okay, well, is that it? Is that, is that, is that it? As if God can only do X amount and no more. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that he has given his only son... See, it wasn't like the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's a man named Abraham, and God calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And they're going up to the mountain. Abraham, he's prepared to do it. And as he comes, getting ready to come down to make the sacrifice, the Lord speaks to him and says, Wait, and provides a ram in the thicket. He provides an offering. He provides a sacrifice Yet we see at the cross, the center of the cross, God did not even spare his own son. He gave it. He gave him for us so that we could experience him in his fullness, the totality of God. Sometimes we just want bits and pieces, and that's what Paul's saying. He did not even spare the thing that meant the most to him, so why will he not give you the things that you need the most? Continuing on, verse 33 says, who dares accuse us? whom God chosen for his whom God has chosen for his own people. No one. This is important. For God Himself, for God Himself has given us right standing with leave me here. With Himself. Who made you right with God? Was it your righteousness? God made you right with him. And he was the one who, who, who put this law in place for us to try to be holy. You see there in the Old Testament. I'm not going to try to confuse you or don't even want to do that. But what we see here is God. It was God that established the law that basically showed us how far away we were from him. Then when he saw that we could not fulfill the law, he did not spare even his own son to reconcile us with him. That is, it's grace. I, I just wanted to tell somebody today that you don't understand how much God loves you. And if you did, you would maybe begin to experience And and, and one reason that we can't understand God's love when we think of that he made us right with him own self is uh, because of his own self, what we think is we think of our love towards other people and it's so conditional, right? I've used this example before and it seems a little cheesy, but I think it's the truth. Um, Maybe in a moment of boyfriend and girlfriend or even son or daughter or husband and wife, whatever the case is, we say things like, I love you. Another the other person will say something like, but why do you love me? And if they're like me, their, words are, or their love language is words of affirmation, so I'm looking for my wife to, to build me up and give me a little confidence and boost me up. But I think subconsciously there's a deceptive truth there. We love based upon conditions. Well, I love because you provide for me. I love because you make me happy. I love because you do for me. I love because you're the mother of my children. I love you because you're there for me which are good reasons to love. But how many of you know, Just I need you just to be honest, how many of you, there's someone at one point in your life you loved, and just it, we don't have to know the exact circumstances behind it. so don't be ashamed, but at one point there was someone in your life that you loved, and now you'd say, no, I don't really love them anymore. Anybody ever feel that way? You're scared. Like, it's cool. Jesus knows already. Don't worry about it. We're not going to judge you. I have people like that in my life. And it doesn't even have to be like a bad circumstance. It doesn't have to be divorce or or murder or something crazy. It could just be that time separated you. Right? Friends from school. Our love is conditional. It is. It's a fact. It's a reality. But that's where we see this agape love from Christ, that his love is Unconditional. There are no conditions. Everything that we have is because of him. It's through him. Ultimately, it's for him. And so what we see here then is Paul is saying, listen. It's God himself who has given us. He's the one that's made us right with him through Christ. That's grace. And, and I'm, for some reason, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm conveying it the way that I want to or the way that God re- showed it to me as I received it when I was preparing this message. But his love for you is unconditional. You cannot get at The first week of this, we talked about the circle of grace. Was anybody here for that message? You bunch of ticket carriers, remember? If not, you need to go back and listen to it. can anyway, you can't, you can't step outside of that circle of grace. You can't get out you cannot outrun God's love. And some of you feel like that's where you're at. You don't deserve it, you're not worthy of it. And the truth is, no, you're not, but neither am I. It's God's grace. It's his goodness. It's his favor. Listen to verse 34. He says, Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was to raise was raised to life for us did you know that god allowed through the holy spirit and his son jesus to defeat death for you so you no longer have to die from your sins you may die in them you may die because of them right cancer addiction alcoholism But because of the resurrection of Christ, it allows us to spend eternity with him when we become one with him. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And listen, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I know that I I feel just in my soul right now that I'm not capable of describing accurately or articulating enough what's happening here in this particular scripture, the picture that Paul's painting, but Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and it's kind of like this. When you go out and you commit these intentional sins that you will do, these blatant sins that you will do, even those of you who think you're holy, the most holy, you'll still do it, because it is our nature it's like, for those of you who also believe like a lightning bolt's coming down from heaven. And you're always walking around like this right here. When you go out and you commit those sins or when you turn your back on God, which we all do, none of us seek, a, seek him, no, not one is righteous, none of us. And we commit these sins of either omission or commission, meaning we do it intentionally or subconsciously. It's our nature, we're depraved. But when we go out and commit these sins, it's like Jesus steps in front of the Father and that lightning bolt is coming down. He said, no, 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 no. This one's mine. This one's mine, father. I know her. I know Glenna. I know Charlie. He's pleading for us. This probably isn't the greatest example either, but I'm just kind of rolling with it. You think of, you know, maybe a movie, or if you could even imagine yourself, if you imagine yourself if you can go there, if I can take you there. Imagine someone you love, a child. A loved one, I don't know a sister or sibling, if you don't have kids. And their life is fixing to be taken. And if you could plead strong enough, you would save them. Can anybody go there with me? I don't know if I'm doing, I don't know. And you're just pleading with everything you have for this life to be spared. I think of my four-year-old daughter, Harper, and he's about 18 months now, my son, Jude. And man, I would give, I would plead. You know, I would bargain I would persuade, I would manipulate, I would lie, I would offer everything I had, right? Well, that's what Jesus did. He gave everything you had. And he offered himself as a sacrifice. And he pleads on your behalf before the Father. Going back to the first verse in this chapter, Paul tells him, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are, are you guys okay with me or, can't tell, Okay. I know it's a little heavy, but Romans chapter eight, verse one, Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, to Jesus. Now, many of us know John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life, right? But I don't know why we don't ever quote John three seventeen, which said that Jesus came to the world to save us, not condemn us. That's just as good, right? So John three seventeen, Jesus is speaking, saying, hey, I've not come to condemn, I've come to save, Nick. Romans 8, 1, Angie, then there's no, there's, therefore now in Christ, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in him. Some of you, you're walking around and it's pitiful the way you walk, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, it's almost a disgrace to the cross the way you walk around. Your head is always hung low. You're ashamed of yourself. And I get it, but that's your guilt. That's not condemnation for, the, for the, from, from Christ. And some of you, you just need to lift your head a little bit higher and believe that you are, you're loved by him unconditionally. You need to claim the forgiveness. And sometimes we feel like prideful and selfish, right, for claiming the forgiveness. We think, well, it's almost like we've built this culture that we should just sit around and pity. And, and if we're not pitiful, if we're not just, uh, you know, becoming uh, almost... Ir- it, um, empty, if we're not becoming sorrowful, that we just don't care about what we did, and that's not true. Like, does that thought make sense? Sometimes when we do things and people, imagine someone does, you know, they've done, they've hurt you somehow and they commit this terrible crime, they're, they're driving under the influence, and I'm not trying to be insensitive to anybody in here or anybody that may be watching online about uh, that have been victims of a DUI. I'm not, don't, that's not what I'm saying, but suppose this person is driving under the influence and they hit somebody and they kill them. I mean, I couldn't even imagine that. But the cross and the grace, the weight of it is enough to cover that sin. And imagine that they didn't, it's not like, if, if people aren't sympathetic, if they're not sorrowful enough, we almost get like pissed off at them for not acting like, hey, you need to be a little bit more sorry. Right? That's the weight of grace covering all that. We don't have to walk around that way, because God is sitting Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, He's pleading for us, He's making us well. He's making us whole and in him. There is no condemnation. There's none, there's no condemnation. You're good in the eyes of the Father, not because of you, because of Him. He's working all things together for our good, verse 34. We just read, who will condemn us, verse 35. Can anything, listen, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? you ever felt like you were separated? Hey, if you're not going to be, look, I mean, if you're, if you're not honest in this time, this is not going to mean anything to you. So I'm looking for those who are with me. If you're not, you can just sit on the outside of the circle and look in, okay? But if you're with me, have you ever felt like there's something you've done or could do to separate you from Christ's love? Is my, and what do we make that about? Our behavior, Right? The ticket carriers. Oh, you better not do that, buddy. He'll get you, boy, in your sleep. We make it about our behavior. Church, I'm telling you, and it took me a long time to get this, and I'm not saying that I'm at some great place of achievement or that I've arrived at knowing it all or having all wisdom and knowledge, but this I do know, that it is about His grace. And the very times you feel like it's too good to be true, then you are experiencing the fullness of it. Can anything ever separate us? Suppose you get nothing else from today than this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I mean, does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or, or calamity? If we're not working, walking, walking in His perfect will and we, we have all these trials and tribulations, does that mean that we're separated from Him? Hang with me. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have these things or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does this mean he no longer loves us? Are we separated in those moments when we need him most that God forsakes us then? I don't know about you, but I'll just be honest with you. The times I celebrate God most are when I'm on the mountaintop. But the time that I'm aware of his presence most is when I'm in the valley. Paul, he goes on to quote an Old Testament scripture in Psalm, verse 36. He says, Does the scripture say, For your sake we are killed every day? We're being slaughtered like sheep? Is there so when we go through these trials of tribulation and, and hurt and pain and agony and, and doubt, are we separated then from God? Is his love so holy that it can't go into the darkest places with us? Verse 37. No, despite all these things, listen, overwhelming victory is ours. I wanted to tell somebody today that you're fighting a battle and not only are you going to win and be victorious, but you are going to win overwhelmingly. You're going to win. If it's a battle in your mind, you'll win. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Christ. What through Christ, not through your behavior, not through your righteousness, not through how much you give, not through how faithfully you, uh, you attend church, not through how many tickets you carry, how many scripture you can quote, how good you look or don't look. It's through Christ. That's grace and it seems too good to be true, right? But it's not. In fact, that's the weight of grace coming down from heaven on you. Despite all these things, everything you're going through, Everything you will go through, everything you've been through, nothing separates you from the love of Christ. Amen, anybody? So I wanted to ask you this thought. When it comes to what we're going through and dealing with this, this weight of grace and this tension of, is he with us, is he not? I mean, really is, are all things being worked together for my good? Then we have to look at two ways. And I wanted to ask you this. Are you giving more weight to the obstacles Or opportunities? Because I'll be honest with you, I know a lot of Christians, and they're like, they're total Debbie Downers. And you may be sitting beside one. And you may be one. Debbie. (laughs) Are you giving more weight to the obstacles in your life or the opportunities? And see, here we see it's about perspective. How many of you know, like, listen, I'm talking addiction. I'm talking uh, getting... um, on a budget, restoring relationship, working on being affectionate, being a good student, a good employer. It does not matter whatever your situation is. A lot of it is about your perspective. That's why Romans 12, and twelve two he talks about, hey, you're going to be a sacrifice, Paul says. But he also says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because if you can get the right thinking around it, then you can get the right attitude. And if you can get the right attitude, you can allow God to have access into your mind. And so what's your perspective this morning? Are you facing too many obstacles or are you facing the opportunities? Are you being obstructed by your obstacles or are you allowing the opportunities that God has set before you to experience his grace to run free in those? I think it's more than fair to say that many of us in here, we're all facing certain obstacles. There are certain um, things that we're going through that maybe only Christ knows. There are certain things in here that maybe no one knows. There's things in here that we have confessed in secrecy to people. Maybe there are loved ones that we have shared with and they know what we're going through. And I just wanted to tell you this morning that if you'll start looking at the opportunity instead of just the obstacle, then you may experience the way to grace fall down on you. Right? Listen to how Paul ends, how we're ending this morning. He says, and I am convinced. And I am convinced that nothing, listen, nothing. If you're not with me, then you're not going to feel this. But if you're with me, you're going to feel it. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can ever separate us. In earlier parts in scripture, and later he would say, does that mean we should go on and continue to sin? Absolutely not, he says. But there's nothing that can separate us. Whatever you're going through, the deepest, darkest thoughts, the most impure, the most secret struggle you have in your heart cannot separate you. You cannot be separated. And there may be seasons where you, in life where you feel like you've separated yourself or that you've walked away, but we know that god is the same yesterday today and forever and he promised to never forsake or leave us you cannot get out of reach of the outstretched arm of god and i'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from god's love listen neither death nor life what he's saying here is how many of you know we're all gonna face death we're all gonna die it's inevitable The old preacher would say it like this. If you get born twice, you only die once. Right? Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born again. So we will all face a physical death. And you can thank Adam and Eve for that one. But you can thank the holy name of Jesus Christ. That if you're in him, that'll be the only death you experience. Honestly, that'll be the time that you begin to experience the life. Like, this is not it. This is, I know everything is about now and about how we look and the cars we drive and the houses we have and what people think of my family and what people think of your family and how many likes on Facebook and Instagram and all this and you want the appearance to be that you have it all figured out and the reality is none of us do. But this is not it. This is not all you were intended for. If you've ever felt like you were meant for more, then maybe you should understand this place has never been your home. death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell Jesus said I'll build my church not even the gates of hell will prevail against it not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love I don't know about you but to me that sometimes it just seems too good to be true that nothing no matter how many times I do it can separate me Listen to what he says in verse 39 he says no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing nothing say nothing 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 in all creation will ever be so not only now but I'm talking about tomorrow you're, you're worried about the uncertainty of your future where you're going who will be there and this is true for us today as it was back then that nothing will ever you are in the ever loving hands of a father and he will not let you go you cannot outrun him. You cannot outhide him. He affectionately, furiously pursues those whom he loves. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what does God's love look like? It looks like the cross. It looks like the cross. It looks like the bloody, nail-scarred hands of our Savior. And this is not your permission slip to leave here and go wreak havoc in your family. But like Pastor Sid don't matter what I do that's not what I'm saying but what I'm saying when you do do those things that you will do and you feel that weight of the guilt come on you if you'll just look up to the sky the weight of grace will come down to rest upon you so here's what I want us to do this morning as we finish this series off I want to just take some time to pray and, and we're, we're almost done. We're almost out of here. And I want you just to hang with me. A lot of times at the end of the message, people get distracted and you start fidgeting. You're like, okay, it's almost time to go. I got to get in there. I got stuff to do. And I've got stuff to do too. Sounds like those kids got stuff to do as well. But just take some time just to pray with me. Just a couple more moments. Just I, I'm going to start us. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to pray in silence there by yourself. And then, I, then I'll close this in prayer. And so if you will, just, just pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that could ever separate us from you. Not death, not life, not pride, not anger, not mental illness, not cancer or criticism. There is nothing, Lord, in all of creation that can separate us from you. And so, Jesus, this morning we pray and trust that you are working all things together for our good, the things that we're going through, and we wonder how is this going to happen. We're wondering how are you going to do this. What is this going to look like? That, Lord, even in the unknown, that our faith would persevere through those, through those questions, through those doubts, And that we would trust that you are working all things together. All things together for our good. Church, here's what I would like you to do. If if your eyes are closed and your head's bowed or however you're praying, I want you to just take a moment to continue that. Just take 30 or 60 seconds to just thank him that nothing you've ever done or you will ever do separate you from him because it's his goodness it's his gracious that's the weight of grace that it weighs down upon us and though it does not suppress us it totally encompasses us just take a few moments to thank him jesus our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and lord this day this very moment we pray that you give us just what we need our daily bread god in anything else is your grace anything else above and beyond is your grace today as we depart here, Lord, we pray that you would not lead us into temptation but if you Lord, if you see us heading that way we know that you are faithful to provide a way out Lord, deliver us from the things that are evil in our hearts that build a chasm that build a wall up between you and us Lord, for it is yours is the glory. We we pray now that this gathering this morning would represent your kingdom in heaven, here on earth, forever and ever. Thanks for choosing to connect with City Lights through our podcast. We are so encouraged by all that God is doing in this ministry. And if you have been blessed through our ministry, please send us your story to citylightsac.org to share it with us. Also, if you would like to financially partner with us, please visit us on the web at citylightsac.org and click the giving tab. Thanks again for choosing to connect with us.